but it is not yet uh, fully realized. Uh, we often call that the, the already not yet aspect of the kingdom. And I, I hope you at least started to see just how helpful that can be to, to making sense out of the church, uh, making sense out of the world that we live in, and even, even your own salvation. That if you are in Christ, uh, God is already uh, your Father. And yet you are, you are not yet uh, what you will be in glory. So with what Rob called hopeful imagination, uh, we embrace uh, what is already. We embrace the death and resurrection of Christ and the outpouring of His Spirit. And we look forward uh, to a day when faith uh, will become sight, when He will return and we will be with Him. But what is the kingdom? Uh, what is it that is already and not yet? Uh, what we are going to say over and over again over the next several weeks is that the kingdom is the rule and reign of Jesus Christ. So today, as we continue to look at the nature of the kingdom, as we continue to say, what is it like? Uh, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 13. So if you'll turn there in your Bibles, uh, we also have it printed there for you in your bulletin. Uh, but please follow along. Um, give your attention to the reading of God's holy and errant word. I'm going to start in verse 1 and go through uh, chapter 13, verse 23. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down and the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing, they do not see. And hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled. That says, you will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly, I say to you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see, and did not see it, and to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, 
The evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. Now this is uh, the word of the Lord. Please pray with me. Father, we do thank you that you have uh, revealed yourself to us, that you have given us uh, your word, that you have told us uh, who you are, you've told us all that you've done for us and all that we're to do uh, in response to that. We pray this morning uh, that you would bless uh, the preaching and the hearing of the word, that by your spirit uh, you would use it to change our hearts uh, today. We pray this uh, in Jesus' name, amen. About uh, three or four years ago, there was a video uh, going around uh, on on the internet uh, and on Facebook where there's this couple uh, sitting on a couch and a woman is, she's lamenting uh, this pain that she's been in. And she says, there's all this pressure, you know, and sometimes it feels like it's right up on me, and I can just feel it, like literally feel it in my head, and it's just relentless. And as the camera kind of pans around and then zooms out so that you can see her face, there's about a three-inch nail just in her forehead like this. You can laugh. Um, And so her husband or or boyfriend or whoever it is that's, that's sitting with her, he has this sort of confused and nervous look on his face, and he says, well, you know, there is a nail uh, in your forehead. And she just sort of interrupts him and says, it's not about the nail. Stop trying to fix it. Um, So obviously that that is playing on on a stereotype that you may or may not have some familiarity with. But the reason, the reason I bring it up is that it reminds us that we don't always know what's good for us. Uh, often, in fact, the more we think we know, the more obscure uh, actual solutions uh, can become. That's kind of a, an exaggerated and silly example. Uh, but sometimes the things that, that we must misunderstand can be much more subtle uh, and even much more, much more serious. I mean, I wonder if there aren't uh, solutions, uh, God-given answers to some of the situations that you face that you might have missed. That because of the, the framework that you've constructed, uh, certain realities have already been deemed uh, impossible. They couldn't possibly be true. When we get to chapter 13 of Matthew... Uh, It's probably a very familiar passage to many of you, but it it can also be a little bit confusing. Uh, Jesus is beginning a string of seven parables in a row here. They're all about the kingdom of God. And before 
before we look at that first parable, it's important to understand some of the backdrop of the conversation that he ends up having here. He's been saying that the kingdom of heaven is at hand since chapter 4. Okay, so probably at least a year, possibly two years now. But the disciples and all the other Jews, they had certain expectations about what this kingdom was going to be like. Uh, The fact that the kingdom would come was not really a surprise to them. Uh, They all looked forward to it, but it wasn't coming in the way that they had anticipated. Uh, Not not really even close to what they had anticipated. Uh, So they're hearing that the kingdom is here, but it is already proving uh, very confusing and has all these unexpected elements in it. Why isn't everyone bowing their knee to the king? Uh, Why don't you make them? One pastor said that an Israelite or a Jew might have anticipated the Messiah to come and say, revolt, for Israel is about to rise again. And he came and said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You can imagine uh, the confusion uh, that they might have had. And every parable in chapter 13 here, uh, Jesus is not explaining some unknown concept that they had never considered, but what he's actually doing is correcting specific misconceptions that they had about the nature of the kingdom. So as we uh, here at Redeemer, as we continue to consider the nature of the kingdom, this morning I want us to look specifically at the proclamation and the reception of the kingdom. We'll do that first by just looking uh, at the parable itself, and then we'll look at Jesus' answer to the disciples' question, why parables? And finally, we'll we'll look at Jesus' explanation of the parable, these different ways of responding, okay? So the parable, why parables, and then Jesus' explanation of the parable. So first, uh, the parable itself. Jesus is teaching, and Matthew tells us that in verse 3, he told them many things uh, in parables. If you've been around church for very long, uh, you're probably pretty familiar with the term parable. You'll know that it's a somewhat common device uh, for Jesus to use. Uh, And you might have even learned that parables are these simple illustrations that help clarify his meaning. But actually, a parable has many different senses uh, in the New Testament. Uh, It was a familiar teaching device of the day that could sometimes be a symbol, sometimes just a simple comparison or a simile, or sometimes it could even be a story. But in every case, what distinguishes a parable is that the meaning is slightly veiled. It's not that the meaning uh, is entirely hidden, but it remains under the surface and demands a certain degree of perception in order to benefit from it. So Jesus begins this series of seven parables with the parable of the sower. He says a sower sows seed, and some falls along the path. Now this would have been like a walking path, through a field where the ground was, was beaten down and, and hard. And as the sower scatters seed, some of it falls on or, or near this path. It's not as though he doesn't know what he's doing or where the seed should go. Uh, but that as it's sown, some spills over, some ends up on the path. Uh, he sows freely, but the seed on the path stays on the surface. 
And before it has a chance to penetrate, it becomes bird seed. So then Jesus says that other seed falls on the rocky ground. This isn't, um, it's not gravelly ground or a field that's covered in rocks. Uh, in, in Palestine, uh, sometimes the bedrock underneath can come up closer to the surface so that it can, it can appear good for planting, but there's really just not enough room for deep roots. So the seed sprouts, but when the weather heats up, uh, it withers. The shallow ground makes it easy uh, for the sun to dry up what little moisture was there. And then there's, there's a third group of seed. It falls among the thorns. And there doesn't actually appear to be anything wrong with the soil here. It's just that it's already occupied. There's a kind of competition in the soil, and the sower's seed gets choked out by the thorns. And finally, other seed falls on the good soil. We're not told how much, but it seems normal, at least, to assume that most of the seed would have fallen on good soil, since most of the field would not have been a path or thorns or rocky ground. But in any case, the result is production of grain in varying amounts, some hundred, some sixty, some thirty-fold. The production's different, but the mark of the good soil is that there is uh, production. So that's the parable. Uh, Simple enough. And then Jesus says in verse 9, He who has ears, let him hear. Whatever whatever you make of the parable so far, uh, Jesus is telling the crowd and he's telling his disciples that this parable deserves your careful attention. In many ways, it is the parable of parables. And as I think we'll see, it actually issues a subtle challenge uh, to the hearers, to the audience. And it leads naturally to the disciples' question in verse 10, why do you speak to them in parables? What are you doing, Jesus? Uh, You have a crowd here. Uh, Why are you being cryptic? Can't you just tell them what you mean? Uh, Can't you just tell us what you mean? And maybe maybe you have similar questions. You would like for Jesus to just tell it to you straight. Uh, And one of the things that we see is that he's actually been doing just that. He's been saying things like, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, uh, for quite some time now, but not everybody is buying it. So if it's important to give our attention to the parable, it's certainly important that we look at how Jesus answers this question, why parables? And he ends up giving us two reasons here. First, uh, we see that parables serve the sovereignty of God. They serve the sovereignty of God. After the disciples ask why, in verse 11, Jesus says, because... To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. Uh, This answer is quite plain. Uh, It might be uh, somewhat frustratingly or even painfully plain for you, but in no uncertain terms, Jesus says to some it has been given, and to others it is not. The hearers, uh, both present and future hearers of this parable, are divided into two groups, and only two. 
Uh, the you is the disciples, the they in verse 11 is the crowd. And Jesus says, they have not been given the secrets. In fact, the parable is used to veil the secrets. These Previous uh, rejections and different responses to Jesus' preaching of the kingdom are not just uh, facts on the ground. It doesn't just happen to be the case that some people respond one way and some people respond another way. What Jesus is saying is that these responses are rooted in the purposes of God. So he puts it plainly. God chooses some and not others. And the parables reinforce God's choice here. Now that, actually, I was going to say might, that likely makes uh, many of you uh, a little squeamish. I might even seem harsh. Who is this God who hides his message from some? And I doubt that I will be able to answer all your questions about that this morning. But if if we let the text uh, speak for itself, uh, there's just not any way around it that God is absolutely in charge here. Um, Martin Luther and the Reformers did not invent the sovereignty of God or his electing grace, but they were right Uh, They saw that the clear teaching of Scripture is that God and His kingdom are never at the mercy of mere men and their opinions and their judgments about what He has to say. So God can say to Moses in Exodus 33, and Paul can repeat it in Romans 9, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. There is no God but the sovereign God of the kingdom. And in fact, it is his grace alone that makes hidden secrets known to ignorant people in the world. So what are the secrets? Well, the open secret here is that the Messiah and his kingdom have arrived, but the end time Judgment and blessing are not yet here. The secret here is that the king is actually present with them. And it will remain a secret to all those who do not trust in him. The prerequisite to understanding the parable and Jesus' preaching is to acknowledge Jesus as the king. Uh, To have Jesus as your king is to take the nail out of your forehead But if you will not have him, you will never understand his parables or anything that he has to say. There will never be enough information. There will never be enough good arguments because those are ways of trusting yourself. But this king demands that you trust him. Uh, Just as the parables serve God's sovereignty, what we also see is that these parables, they press on man's responsibility. See, the parables function both to veil the truth to those already hardened and then reveal it to those who remain open. This is what 
This is what verse 12 is saying, that no one who has, or excuse me, that the one who has will be given more, and the one that has nothing, even what he has, will be taken away. You see, Jesus uses that same phrase later in the parable of the talents, and again in the parable of the lamp under the basket. And all three times, in every case, Jesus is emphasizing man's responsibility to respond appropriately. And in this case, to respond appropriately to the gospel of the kingdom. Jesus puts the sovereignty of God side by side with man's responsibility. He sees no contradiction, and he feels no need to explain it. Earlier uh, in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. It could not be any more clear that King Jesus chooses to whom He will reveal the Father. But in the very next verse... Very next verse, Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You see, our response to God's sovereignty is not to cry foul. It is not to to question God's fairness. It is not to throw your hands up in the air and say, Well, God's going to do whatever he's going to do. And it's not even to try and figure out if you're chosen. We are simply to turn to him and to trust in him. These parables uh, demand uh, a response from the hearers. Uh, But, of course, Jesus knows that people just often hear whatever they want to hear. Psychologists and academics, I guess, they refer to this as confirmation bias. I don't know if you've heard of that. Uh, I like to call it uh, Facebook this is, this is when you like all the things that line up with what you already thought and you unfollow people who post different opinions and all of a sudden, uh, all the news in your feed, both good and bad, simply confirms all the things you believed before you read it. Uh, Jesus, what he's saying here is that his parables, although there are many different kinds of hearers, they are always appropriate to the hearer. They're always fitting for all different kinds of recipients. So as the parables present these claims of the kingdom, uh, they challenge the hearers. And you should be asking yourself, well, what kind of soil am I? But you see, you can resist. You can say, well, that's just a story. Or, that's confusing, Or who cares? Who cares what Jesus said 2,000 years ago? Who even knows if he really said it? Jesus speaks in veiled truth here because some have already begun to harden their hearts. So he can say in verses 14 and 15 that the crowd is fulfilling Isaiah's prophecy because they don't actually want what he has to offer. They don't want to be healed. They have made their hearts dull. And they close their own eyes. 
So this is a straightforward warning. Do not harden your heart against God. Uh, if, you, if you go down that road, uh, you may reach a point where you don't know how to turn around anymore. Uh, we'll, see, we'll see later that there are many different ways that this could happen. But if I, if I could boil it down to one thing, sin hardens the heart. Uh, when your desires become your measuring stick, when you begin to have doubts about God's word when it doesn't line up with the things uh, that you want, you are beginning to harden your heart. You can probably think of many examples of this, but I know that, I know that many of you, uh, myself included, uh, we, have, we have friends that say, live an unbiblical lifestyle And at some point you discover, well, that they're kind. Uh, They're not monsters. And you actually appreciate their friendship and you start to wonder, well, does the Bible really prohibit such and such? But this is a a subtle way of beginning to harden your heart against what God has to say about himself And about us, it is to get things out of order and allow your desires and your convenience to determine what is true rather than your king. And we need to be clear here. There is no third option. Anything other than humble allegiance to Jesus is to begin to harden your heart. There are no neutral parties. The kingdom is not something that can be ignored. So after giving the parable and then answering the disciples' question, Jesus says, hear then the parable of the sower. He's saying here, for a second time, uh, you, that is the disciples, that is everyone who's here, who's listening to this parable, you need to listen closely. And so he proceeds to retell the parable and explain it to them. Now you'll notice that the sower is not named, but he is identified with the word of the kingdom in verse 19. Uh, this is exactly what Jesus has been proclaiming for over a year now. Jesus uh, is the sower, the seed is his message, and the soils are human hearts. These soils explain the different responses to the kingdom preaching. And this is, really, this is really what the parable is about. This is what we need to pay attention to. Uh, your citizenship in the kingdom is intimately connected with how you respond to the kingdom preaching. So our goal here uh, is not to ask how others are hearing. It's not to try and pinpoint other problematic soil that you think you know about in the room. Uh, The goal here is to confront yourself and to ask yourself, how am I hearing? The first hearer is compared with the path. Uh, This is the hard heart soil. And he does not understand because he resists it. He resists the word of the kingdom in his gut. This is the man of Romans 1 that Paul talks about. 
Although he knows the truth about God, he suppresses it. His heart is darkened. He claims to be wise and becomes a fool. And ultimately, God gives him over to his own desires. So we've already looked at this. But let me just say again that hardening your heart is dangerous. It is an open door for the evil one. The concern is not that you would never hear the gospel again, but that you become so calloused that you're unable to make any sense out of it and you become blind to the realities of God's present and coming kingdom. The second soil here is set, or the second heart here is like the rocky ground. Uh, this heart hears the word and receives it with joy, but it falls away just as quickly as it received it. Immediately, it says. This is the shallow heart. For this heart, enthusiasm is entirely bound up in externals. Now, this heart uh, loves the music or loves uh, the community, perhaps, perhaps even loves uh, the preaching. But his love for Jesus is not down in his bones because his love is not about loving Jesus as the king. And this doesn't just go for, for shallow thinkers. This is for intellectuals too. It's for anyone for whom the word does not penetrate the heart. Uh, more reading of books and more gathering of information will not ensure that you don't have a shallow heart. Those could simply be your form of churchy entertainments. Uh, the question for us has to be, has the word of the kingdom gotten down into your heart? Is it below the surface? Has it gripped you from the inside so that you love Jesus for himself and not just what he has to offer? Now, there's no what I would call real uh, persecution in our country, at least not in comparison uh, to many other places in the world today. But, but many of you are probably aware that Christians and biblical Christianity, they are being uh, marginalized in certain circles in our society. If you believe that God made the world from nothing... Uh, and that he made the first woman out of the first man, and that Moses parted the Red Sea, and certainly if you believe Jesus rose from the dead for your justification and still lives to intercede for you with the Father, you are a caveman uh, at best. You might be a dangerous person. But if your primary interest in the church is anything other than Jesus. When the cultural heat comes, and it is coming, when the cultural heat comes, your enthusiasm will wither. So we have a hard heart, we have a shallow heart, and now we have a compromised heart. The third hearer is like the seed among the thorns if you notice here, the, the, all three soils so far, they're hearing. And there's even a sort of progression of growth where the, the first seed 
doesn't quite make it into the ground. The second seed does make it into the ground and even sprouts and grows for a little bit, but it withers. And the third seed, I'm not sure there's anything wrong with the soil here. But the heart is occupied with competing interests. And eventually, the word is choked. He names specifically two competing interests. First, the cares of the world. It's literally the worries or anxieties of the age. This is what Paul calls the age that is passing away, or the present evil age. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, Do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Now, to be wrapped up in worry is to set your heart on a world that is passing away. And secondly, he names the deceitfulness of riches. Riches... Uh, Tell lies, he says. Riches make, they make promises to you about security and happiness, promises about control that they cannot keep. So Sinclair Ferguson says, the heart can be either compromised by what you wish you had or compromised by what you already have. And if I could... Just be specific uh, for a moment uh, to the people here at Redeemer. Of all the soils, I I think this is absolutely uh, what we ought to be most concerned with. Uh, The world uh, and all of its outlets are preaching to you constantly that you cannot be whole and you cannot really have a fulfilled life without enough money or pleasure or money, or health, or money. The problem is not the, it's not the existence of riches. Uh, it's not even that you, that you live uh, in this present age. Uh, the problem is devotion uh, to these things. What Jesus has to say is that there can be no competition between the world and his word of the kingdom. We cannot allow them to both have a seat at the table to argue for our attention. We're not even, uh, in one sense, to prioritize them alongside of each other, as though the kingdom occupied a slightly higher rank than the world after you considered all the options. What he's saying here is that the rule And the reign of Jesus Christ is the concern that must govern all of our other concerns. So finally, he comes to the good soil. He says that this soil understands. Understands can can be taken in sort of a wooden or flat way to mean like knowing the facts about something. Uh, But what Jesus has in mind here in understanding the word of the kingdom is to have an open heart. The parallel account in Mark 4, the good soil accepts the word. The good soil receives the word. 
See, just like in Proverbs, uh, the beginning of the wi- beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. The beginning of understanding the kingdom is simply to acknowledge and receive Jesus as the King. Uh, this kind, this kind of understanding, this kind of open heartedness towards Jesus and the kingdom inevitably bears fruit. Jesus says, "The call here is not to make sure." That you have fruit. It is to open your heart to the gospel of the kingdom. So that if you will say gladly that Jesus is your king, he will certainly, without fail, by his spirit, bring forth real change in your life. Uh, John Calvin was a pastor in Geneva, Switzerland, in the 1500s. He's known for many things. But one of the things that you might not know is that he wrote a lot of letters. He wrote over 4,000 letters during his lifetime. He was the kind of person who was smart enough and maybe had just enough pride to see a problem in the Church of England and write a letter to the Queen. Um, but it worked for him. He wrote Anyway, he wrote over... 4,000 letters, and with each one of these letters, he would attach uh, his own personal seal. And in his seal was a picture of a hand holding up a heart. And underneath it, it said, My heart, O Lord, I offer to you promptly and sincerely. This is the call of the gospel of the kingdom. It is simply to open our hearts to gladly receive Jesus and his reign in our lives. It is to give ourselves to him. And it really is that simple. God wants us to give ourselves to him because we trust him. And if you've never done that this morning, or if you're not sure you can do that, or you're not sure if you know how to do that, and you're... You're saying, I don't know what kind of soil I am. As a minister of the gospel, whatever whatever authority that lends to what I have to say, let let me promise you that you can trust him. Jesus is the master gardener who can till the soil of your heart Cry out to him. He always gives grace to the humble. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we have been blessed to hear and to know the secrets of the kingdom. That Jesus Christ, the Son of God, sits at your right hand, presently reigning, and that the prince of this earth has already been dethroned. And we can have absolute certainty that there is a day coming when we will see no more death and no more sin and no more suffering and we really will be with you. God, I pray that for all the days that we do have on this earth that your spirit would work in our hearts, that you would make us open-hearted, that we would be glad and eager to give ourselves to you because we trust you and because we love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.